This is the Imitated Radio Hour. I'm your host, Julian Fade. And I'm also here. I'm Corey Matthewson. They say to live a creative life, you must lose your fear of being wrong. We have lost that fear. We speak to world-renowned experts you've never heard of. Fake research, real comedians. They don't know what they're talking about. But that doesn't stop them from pretending they do. Each episode, we bring you made-up facts, unsighted research, completely improvised. Welcome to the Imitated Radio Hour. It's been said that diamonds are forever, but so is a life sentence. In 2010, the Antwerp Diamond Center was robbed. It's been called the greatest diamond theft of all time. The vault held millions of dollars of precious stones and was protected by 10 layers of security, including infrared heat detectors, Doppler radar, a magnetic field, a seismic sensor, guard cats, and a lock with 100 million possible combinations. Yet the diamonds are gone, and in their place, only questions. Today's guest is a professional diamond thief turned advisor to forensic investigators and security technology companies aiming to keep their valuable goods away from prying eyes and fast hands. Today she teaches us how to strive for the unattainable while protecting our most prized possessions. In this uncut interview, we speak to Amber Nash about what stealing diamonds can teach us about life, love, and the pursuit of all that is shiny. Amber, thanks for joining us today. Wow, I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's really great to have you, Amber. Honestly, it um, it was a bit tricky tracking you down. Do you feel comfortable telling us where you're calling from today? Um, well, I can tell you the kind of place I'm calling from, but not the exact place. So let me just paint a picture of where I'm at, if that's cool with you. Sure, please. Well, I'm in a mountainous location in a cabin, the kind of place that maybe a writer would get away to to, to write a great novel. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a fire going, even though it is summertime because that's how far north I am. A lot of books, a lot of things bound in leather. It's um, it's a pretty nice place to hang out, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Absolutely do. What do you see when you look out the windows? Or am I oh. getting too far down? No, no, I will say that it is a uh, deciduous forest and uh, there's a little bit of a dusting of snow on the trees, which again, a little bit strange considering it is summertime. Mm, the, the clues, the clues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Amber, before we move forward, I want us to look back. How did you get started in the heist business, as you call it? Well, you know, I think it's been said before that you don't always choose your path. Sometimes your path chooses you. And that was exactly exactly how my story unfolded. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but diamonds existed well before people did. And they will continue to exist. I know, right? Not everybody thinks about that. And they will continue to exist long after people stop existing. And so as a a young person, I was, um, I I wanted to try out for cheerleading. And so I I went to my parents. This was in sixth grade. So I was about 11 years old. And I asked my parents if, if I could try out for the team. And they said no. And I couldn't understand why. And then my dad pulled me aside and he explained to me, 
that he'd recently been laid off from his job. And so if I had gotten on the squad, they wouldn't be able to pay the fees that are associated with being on the cheerleading squad, which I don't know if you guys know this in, in Canada, they, they might not have fees related to, to that. But in the US, you have to pay for everything. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Well, my family just didn't have the money. So I decided that I was going to start a life of crime. And I was going to get enough money to join cheerleading. And that's exactly what I did. So my first robbery was uh, was of a neighbor. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I presume that you stole enough money from that neighbor to then pay your exorbitant cheer fees. Yeah, it ended up being about $300 a year. And uh, I didn't just steal. It wasn't a one time situation. It was a it was a long thought out situation with this neighbor where I, I systematically stole their money out of their piggy bank without them knowing. Incredible. And you were 11 years old at this point. Yeah. Have you ever heard of a pneumatic tube? Yes. Yeah. Similar to the kind that they have at banks. I was able to get some um, some tubing from Home Depot, the kind that they use for plumbing and put it where the cork goes in the bottom of a piggy bank. And that just went straight into my window at my house next door. Coins would come flying in through your window That's at, right. at every moment. That's right. I lived, I lived on the lower level and luckily my neighbor had a, had a top story room. So it worked out. Interesting. Interesting. And they never caught on. They never caught you that, I mean, you, you got away with it. Well, funny story is uh, I just had my 25th high school reunion. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I went back to see a lot of people I hadn't seen in a long time. And guess who walked up? Glenn Brown. That's that's the neighbor. Mm. And uh, we just kind of started catching up. And I I couldn't help myself. I, I'd gotten away with it for so long that I told him the whole story. And he bought me a drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's surprising he could afford it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's incredible. I want to, you know, dig in a little bit deeper. How, you know, I, I know a little bit more about you and from from the work that you do, but I want you to sort of tell us, uh, you know, how did growing up with parents like yours prepare mm -hmm. you for stealing diamonds? Well, the good news is, is that my parents were both fairly familiar with the theft arts, if, mm. if you might say. My mom had uh, had been a, a, a rare art thief. And my father liked to steal expensive wines. And these weren't their jobs. These were just hobbies that they had. So I, I had a lot to, to, to see and to, and to emulate when it, when it came to learning my craft. That's incredible. So was stealing or thievery or heists or, or burglary, was it a moral, uh, was it more morally objectionable in your family? No, no. In fact, it was, it was encouraged. It was one of those things like, you know, if you if you're the child of of comedians, you think, well, you know what? If we have, I, I don't want to do what my parents did. I, I want to be an accountant. But mm -hmm. for me, it was it was the family business, and I I, I felt a, an obligation to to not do the morally right thing, but to do the thing that that my parents had done that had made us the family we were. Interesting, and I understand that you were able to rob several families of their Christmas gifts under the tree to truly have incredible Christmases every year. Is that true? <laughs> That's right. In fact, uh, our, our family was on the front page of the local paper one uh, Boxing Day, as you guys call it in Canada. We don't have a we don't have a name for that day. We just call it December twenty sixth, and mm -hmm. it was because my family had uh, had had successfully robbed a neighbor so that we could have a really great Christmas, and we didn't 
take their gifts and exchange them and buy our own. We just kept their gifts. And this wasn't the first year we'd done it. In fact, we'd done it five years in a row, but this was the first year we got caught. And they put our our face on the on the front cover of the newspaper and they called us the Grinches. <laughs> oh my God. It's uh, yeah. it, not a very endearing term. It's almost like you'd prefer, you know, the Robin Hoods or, uh, you know, right. the, 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 the indulgers. Yeah. But we weren't doing anything good with, with the money. We were just, uh, we were just having fun with it. You know, were you targeting specific people in the neighborhood, those with maybe more, or did you just thieve indiscriminately? indiscriminately. It was more about uh, convenience, whoever mm. was closest, whoever let their guard down. But, um, you know, after we got found out and people at my school realized and and uh, those sorts of things, we had to leave the neighborhood because I was I was getting bullied pretty, pretty significantly. Terrible. That's yeah. terrible to hear. Yeah. I want to change tone a little bit here. You, you talk a lot about the thrill of the heist, the adrenaline rush of taking something valuable from a place that you shouldn't be able to go and maybe that other people don't want you to go. Can you mm-hmm. explain to us that adrenaline pumping, that thrill? Yeah, I think it's it's like a like a sport or let's say like taking a test. Whatever whatever it is that gets your blood going after hours and days and months of meticulously prepping and mapping out and going through security systems and every single little detail or it's also like planning an event every single thing down to the minutia is known about and accounted for and you go through drills and you are ready and so when you get to that point there's nothing like it you know the Catherine Zeta-Jones uh, kind of snaking around the lasers? That is 100% accurate. That happens in literally every heist. So that is something that you must you must train for and you must prepare for. So it, the, the adrenaline is, is overwhelming. Are there other elements of Hollywood blockbuster heist films that are accurate or inaccurate to your day? Oh, I mean, I, I would say uh, there is a lot of um, scaling of walls. So whenever you see that in a film, there's a lot of dropping in from ceilings, Mm -hmm. tactical gear. Everyone always wears black. Um, You oftentimes have um, goggles on to protect your eyes. There is, uh, you know, those suction cups that they climb up walls with? Those Mm -hmm. are real. And they're not that hard to use. So, I mean, I'd say just about everything that you've seen in movies is, is, is pretty, pretty accurate. They're almost more documentaries than they are blockbuster films. I would say so. That's what makes it so exciting. That's why when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was get into high level thiefing, not the mamby pamby stuff that my parents were doing, but we're Mm -hmm. talking the real deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You wanted to step up above rare art and rare wine and into the more expensive jewels, diamonds, and some of the most expensive uh, gemstones on this planet. That's right, because rare art doesn't necessarily mean expensive art, mm-hmm. right? Maybe it's just something no one knows about. And my mom didn't really care. She just she just went for, for it for the thrill. Only a select few people in the world have accomplished something so unimaginably difficult, so unthinkably complicated mm-hmm. as the Antwerp diamond heist. But you succeeded in doing something that no one thought possible. How did you mentally prepare for this crime of the century? And and what sets you apart? 
Well, the thing is, is I think that it all starts with a good night's sleep. It's easy when you've got something big coming up, whether it's a test or you're selling your house, it can keep you up at night, but it is very important that you get a full night's sleep while you're prepping and definitely before the big deal. So it was important to me that I do all of my prep. I would I would get a full night's sleep, but then I would work absolutely all day long, 100% committed to this. I didn't eat on a regular schedule. In fact, I would just eat when I when I had the chance, anything that was nearby would go mm-hmm. in my mouth. I didn't oftentimes leave my chair. Sometimes it was necessary for me while I was at the computer to wear a diaper because if you know one little thing gets in the way and mm-hmm. you've got to get up, you can't click right back into where you were before when you have planning to do. So I think you have to absolutely 100% throw yourself in. There's there's no question to the amount of discipline that it takes. Yeah, I, I as someone who often pees, uh, I, yeah. I always thought, you know, it must be tough to hold it in during the entirety of a, a 24-hour stakeout and heist. And mm-hmm. the diapers make so much sense, I would have never thought of it. That's right. And you begin by by also training yourself to wait as long as possible, but then having the diaper as a backup. And I can't tell you how many kidney infections I've had. I, I'm most impressed by the 1994 stealing of the Statue of Liberty accomplished by David Copperfield and replaced by a picture-perfect replica. I understand Mm -hmm. he still owns the original in his own private island. Is there a particular thief or burglary in history that you are inspired by still to this day? Oh, this is a good one. So I don't know if you guys remember this, uh, but this was, I believe, in the late 80s, early 90s. And one Geraldo Rivera decided Mm. that he was going to unearth a vault that was previously owned and occupied with things by Al Capone. And it was a big television event. Everyone was tuning in. They were talking about it for weeks leading up to it. And I remember my parents letting me stay up late to watch the unearthing of this tomb. And then they they do all the right things. They get you invested. They get down there. You see all the digging happening. And then Geraldo goes to open the vault and there's nothing there. The vault is completely empty. And everyone is very disappointed because they thought, that there was going to be secrets revealed. They thought they were going to know more about the underworld, about the mafia, but they knew nothing. And it looked like Geraldo was embarrassed. It looked like this was the end of his career, but that's not what happened. In fact, Geraldo had orchestrated this whole thing and he had taken everything from in that vault, put it in his own home and made it seem empty and was willing to go through the humiliation of looking stupid in front of the world so that he could take that prize for himself. A man with a man with the incredible scruples yeah. of Geraldo Rivera would do such a thing. That is truly shocking to me. Yeah. And that mustache is not his. Wow. I'm just telling you that. Wow. No, no. I've heard it's his eyebrows that he's shaved off and put above his own lip. That is right. And then at night, he has to take it off and soak it in a glass of milk. Mm-hmm. To keep to keep it supple and fresh. Yeah, it has to bloom each time. Yeah, it's got to bloom. That's right. Interesting. Interesting. You've turned now to working with forensic investigators and security technology companies to keep their things safe. What, what type of advice do you give them? Well, 
Let me just go back a minute and say that the reason why I've turned away from being a thief and turned towards helping other people catch thieves is not because I don't want to be a thief anymore. It's because I didn't have another option. Like when I was a child and my path chose me, now that everyone knows that I'm a thief, I can no longer do it. So mm. I had, to, this is the only choice I had. So one of the first things I do when I work with these companies is I get all of their banking account and credit card information so that while I am working with them, I'm also stealing from them. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So you are helping them to keep their things safe by placing them in your own property. Right. It's like when a magician, mm -hmm. a street magician comes up to you and says, uh, may I borrow your watch? Mm. And then you give them your watch so that they can do a trick and then they never give it back. Or you look down and there's a different watch, maybe a cheaper watch on your wrist. And then they can use that as a teaching tool, which is what I like to do. But then I just don't give the money back. Interesting. The old bait and switch. Mm -hmm. That's right. Now, we obviously wouldn't advocate for people listening to go out and plan and execute their own heist, but what skills, maybe higher level, can people take away from your experience? Well, you know, I think that, that there's a lot to be learned from it. Like, like, say, for example, you and a group of your friends are celebrating Cynthia's 40th birthday. So everybody decides that they're going to go to an escape room. Right. Mm -hmm. And then everybody's laughing. They've had a bottle of Prosecco and nobody can really solve the problems or they can't maneuver their body in a very sexy way around some dental floss that's made to look like a laser. Mm -hmm. But if you have the skills of a thief and you have the laser focus, then you can win any escape room. Mm. You can win any conversation with a friend. You can win at life. So I also on the side teach classes for people so that they can they can learn, you know what, I'm going in for a job interview. I want to be prepared. I want to be able to think on my feet. Go don't go take an improv class. Take no. a class from a professional thief and then you'll have all the information you ever needed to succeed. I've taken an improv class and they did feel like thieves in a lot of ways. That's right. That's right. How can people use these skills to break into their own super secret safe, the, 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 the secret safe inside each of us so that they can strive for their own diamond and maybe achieve something that no one else thought possible? What advice would you give to them? Well, I think that at the end of the day, when you're about to, after all your preparation, go out there and make something happen, the last person that you look at is yourself in the mirror. And you've got to be straight with that person because you don't know if you go out there, you might not come back. You might get caught. You might go to prison. You might not make it. You might be taken down. You might, anything could happen. So you've got to look deep inside of yourself and make sure that everything is all tied up. You are ready to go if it's your time to go. And I think that's the work that it takes on the inside is to, to get behind that lock, to get into that safe. And that's what's on the inside. But I also caution to leave it closed to other people. So don't let other people in. That's, that's not something that I would recommend. Amber, do you ever feel any guilt for what you apparently did? Hmm. You know, 
It depends. It depends on the day. Some days I wake up and I think, wow, you're a champion. And then other days I wake up and I think, wow, you're just a, a good for nothing, thieving son of a gun. But at the end of the day, who was I robbing? Was I robbing the person that owned that diamond? Was I robbing the world of those diamonds? Who was I really robbing? And I feel like if I was robbing the entire world, then that feels better to me than robbing one person. I, I want to end on maybe a, a bit of professional advice. You know, what is the number one thing that banks, that uh, diamond protecting vaults could be doing to keep people like you out of their secret safes? You know, it seems simple, but I don't know if you've ever been walking down a street. I have. You come past a house. Okay, good. Good to know. You come past a house that has a, a security wall so that you, uh, it's not a fence necessarily, but more of a wall around the house. Oftentimes, the person that builds that wall will put some cement at the top of the wall, and then the shattered bottles will be stuck into the cement as kind of a makeshift um wire to keep people out. Mm -hmm. It sort of says, look at what happened to the bottles. If you climb up here, the same thing would ha happen to you. Exactly. I also think it keeps birds from shitting on the wall, mm. but that's the kind of thing. It's easy to do. Bottles are trash. You mm -hmm. can pick them up anywhere. Go to your local recycling center. You can get hundreds of bottles. So just cement and bottles. Take it back to the basics. Everybody can do that in their house, their bank, their grocery stores. If bottles were cracked and strewn about on the streets, there would be no more crime. Yeah, because it's a warning. It's a security measure, but it's also a warning. Mm. Mm -hmm. There's a broken window theory of crime, but what you're advocating for is a broken bottle theory of crime. That's right. Amber Nash is a professional diamond thief turned advisor to forensic investigators and security technology companies. Amber, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. The Imitated Radio Hour is produced by Rapid Fire Theatre. It is not affiliated in any way with NPR or the official TED organization. So please don't sue us. Rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For Corey Mathewson. For Julian Fade. This has been the Imitated Radio Hour. <laughs>